welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. Who was, who was here a few weeks ago when I um, spoke on uh, Why Am I So Crap? Fair few people. Okay, this is kind of part two um, in this. And um, no apologies for the fact that um, I'm going to speak on the same passage as Dave spoke from last week. He was talking about sin and repentance. And um, I, um, I planned this talk back in about June. And I've, I've been booked in for about six or eight weeks for this slot. And, um, and some of my topic is exactly the same. And so I just kind of think, well, maybe God is saying something. If you um, struggle with, with sin, then you, you probably find that there's a voice in your head that says, well, there you are. You are really crap, aren't you? Because if you weren't, you wouldn't be doing that. If you were a proper Christian, you know, like a, a real Christian, you wouldn't be doing that. And uh, you feel condemned and you feel worthless. And uh, the problem is that all of that is just about your performance. And uh, you'll never be able to perform well enough to earn a place in heaven. You'll never be able to do things well enough to get respect from God. Because if we could, then we'd all be following the law rather than having grace. And um, Paul says this in Romans. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that's living in me that does it. That's a lot of do's and don'ts, isn't it? Um, but I just think it's a fantastic um, bit that Paul says there. And, 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 and this is Paul. You know, he, he planted the churches of the known day. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he struggled with sin. He actually had stuff that was really difficult, and he said, look, I don't want to do this stuff, but I'm doing it, and I feel really wretched as a result. And so I think we're in good company when we sin. And traditional church, it talks about the seven deadly sins. And my suspicion is that whatever you struggle with when you sin, it falls into one of these seven. So I just want to briefly talk about the seven deadly sins. So the first one that I'm going to talk about is the one that's probably most prevalent in our society, uh, which is lust. Now, um, when Paul was writing, the one sin that he kind of really focuses on is sexual sin. That's the thing he probably addresses most. And he said, you churches, you know, he's writing especially to the church in Corinth, you're doing some bad stuff. And actually, I want to address that sin with you. <clears throat> and I think it's a real biggie in our society, isn't it? And wherever we go, inevitably, there are members of the opposite sex. You can't avoid that because it's kind of a bit 50-50, isn't it? And um, in the modern world, there's more ways to access the nude version of the opposite sex than there has ever been. 
you can access in any number of different ways. And um, so because of that, because there's pornography there, people get trapped and they lust. Two-thirds of men in the U.S. admit to viewing pornography at least once a month. And that's pretty much as high in the Christians in the U.S. The numbers are pretty equal. 30% of men in the 18 to 30 age group view pornography on a daily basis. And amongst Christians, that's 7%. Amongst the women, the daily viewing figures are about 3%, and Christians, 1%. So there's still a lot that goes on, even within the church. And in, um, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Flee also youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And the big question is, if you look, well, Why? Do you look? What will it achieve? A quick, cheap thrill? But what will the longer-lasting effect be? And we all know the damage that pornography does. The thing is, there'll always be a temptation to look. There just will be. Our children are taught at school. If you stumble across something on the internet, you know, you're doing a search and something suddenly pops up on the screen... Exit as fast as you can. Turn off the monitor if you can't get away from it. And, uh, and you know, switch it off. And um, I remember I was at New Day and PJ Smythe was speaking and he said, bounce your eyes. He said, there'll always be people in low-cut tops or short skirts. He was talking to the guys. And um, just bounce your eyes. You don't have to follow. And kind of down the street, you see people doing it. And uh, he said, the lingering starts to make you lust. And then that can lead to all kinds of problems. So what can we do about if if you're struggling with lust? Jesus says, pluck out your eye if it's causing you to sin. Now, I wouldn't say go and get your kitchen knife, because that would be a bad thing to do. But Jesus wants you to be radical as plucking out your own eyes. We can switch off our internet. We can change providers to one that will filter what we, what we get. You could change your smartphone to a really old-fashioned phone that just does calls and texts so that you can't see stuff on the screen. You could become accountable to someone else and share your internet history with them. You could confess your sins to one another. We're urged to do that. Confess your sins. And actually in doing that, that we, um, we then talk to each other and we keep each other accountable. The next one, gluttony. Overindulging is normal in our society, isn't it? I think that's uh, Mr. Creosote, uh, for those of you who know your Monty Python. Um, we don't drink, do we? We get drunk. We don't eat because we need to, but because we want to. I was in a restaurant last night. Yes. Do you want the full rack of ribs with that chicken? Yeah, go on then. Do you want dessert with that? All right then. And I kind of leave the restaurant feeling absolutely loaded. It's gluttony. I didn't need the food. 
And you, you might say, well, I can't help myself. I just can't help it. But actually, we need to address our gluttony if we struggle with it. Obesity is a massive issue here, across Asia, across Africa. And um, it's a growing problem. And it causes all kinds of issues. How do you feel about the concept of fasting? Your initial reaction might tell you something about your relationship with food. In 1 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And that got me thinking, well, how do you eat a meal to the glory of God? Paul says, you know, if you're eating or drink it, do it to the glory of God. And actually, when we stuff ourselves stupid, it probably doesn't give glory to God. When we praise the chef, when we praise God for the making of the wonderful things that we've been eating, that probably does glorify God. I remember I was, uh, I was on a ward once and um, we had this rather large patient who was so large they couldn't go on an operating table because it wasn't insured for someone of over 40 stone. And because they couldn't be operated on, we couldn't make them better. And they were living in the hospital on a drip because as soon as they got out of bed, they got angina because of their weight of their body that they had to move. And they were really in trouble. And we'd spied them secretly between meals having Mars bar drinks. And um, we thought this probably wasn't very helpful. But she said, but I don't, I don't eat anything. I, I live on lettuce. And um, I remember the professor, we were standing at the bedside one morning, and he was exasperated after months of these discussions with this lady. And uh, he said, the thing is, there were no fat people in Belson. And he walked away from the bedside. Oh, my word. You could have cut the air around that bed. But the woman suddenly got it. She didn't have to eat. But she wanted to because she was stuck with, uh, with this gluttony that made her have this compulsion to eat. Um, I've recommended this book before, Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. Brilliant book. want to really recommend that to you. And uh, Tullian in his book says this. Fundamentally, someone's worst addiction is no different from whatever issues of restlessness you and I face. And the first question I always ask is always the same. What are we really after? Inside us, what truly needs to be there that isn't? It might be acceptance or approval in various ways from various people. It could be a sense of direction or significance or purpose. It may well be the experience of security or freedom and deliverance. We're looking for these things all the time. And the thing is, we all look for that kind of stuff. And we look for it in different places. So the next one I want to talk about is greed. This is kind of similar to lust and gluttony, really, isn't it? Um, but it's about having what we want to have. And uh, the thing about having enough is um, you won't. You'll never have enough. You will always earn slightly too little and spend slightly more. It's just how it is. And other people will always have more than you. Bill Gates is not the richest man in the world. 
But most of us could live on a tenth of his interest in a very luxurious way. In Hebrews 13, it says, let your conduct be without covetousness. That's the seeking after what other people have. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I, and that's Jesus, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This says, don't go after more stuff, but be content. But there's the promise, isn't there? Don't go after the stuff because I will always be with you. Yep, getting some spending plans and some budgets might help. And accountability might help if we're spending too much. But we'll never have enough until we change the way we think about our relationship with our things. God has the best for you. Do you believe that? When you want more stuff, God still wants the best for you. And he has the best for you. Jesus says, you don't give a scorpion when you ask for bread. That's what a father wouldn't do that. But the thing is, when you ask God for bread, he doesn't give you cake. And you might think, well, I'll ask for cake then. I quite like cake. But God only gives you cake if you need cake, not if you want cake. Next one is sloth. I looked up sloth for a picture, and actually, of course, I just got lots of brown animals, and I thought, that's not going to work. And um, so laziness or sloth, um, God didn't make us to do little, but he made us to be productive. And there's two extremes in modern life, and the first one is actually not stopping And that's bad for us. God says, stop, rest, have a Sabbath. But the other one is not doing things and being lazy. And if that's an issue, you might need to make a plan as to how you deal with it. In Proverbs, it says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. And ants don't stop and watch TV or play on their phones. They carry on working. And actually, sometimes if we're struggling with not actually being productive, God says, get up and start doing some stuff. Again, accountability might help with that. The next one, wrath or anger. It's really easy to get wound up by people, isn't it? It's really easy for our anger to spill over. In Romans 12, it says, beloved, never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written vengeance is mine and I will repay says the Lord we need to trust God that he's going to deal with the people who do wrong it's not our place to sort them out and there's loads of outlets for our anger aren't there if you spot me on my Strava feed, having broken about 12 records in one ride, I probably left work in a bad mood. And I went and did some exercise and prayed hard whilst I was cycling as fast as I could, getting very short of breath, thinking I'm not made for this. And actually, there's other ways we can deal with our anger. And you know what? When I'm there, out of breath, trying to get up the next hill, 
God suddenly speaks very clearly to me about what's important and actually that he can deal with these things. The next one of the seven, for those of you counting, it's number six, is envy. Envy is wanting what other people have. That might be things, but it might be their positions. It might be the respect that they have. And the root of this one is that you don't trust God to provide for all of your needs. Because what other people have is better than what you have. And so therefore you need to go and do something more. It might be somebody else's donkey, their wife, their food, their position. But even in the desert, God provided for his people. And he'll provide for you. But believing that can be quite tricky. Quite tricky indeed. But we need to start to. In Proverbs again it says, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. And that's because it will eat you. It will eat you if you allow it to. And the last one, pride. This actually kind of fits in with all the previous six. Because actually, pride is self-belief. And when we struggle with these other things, pride is quite common. If we believe in ourselves, then we're not trusting in God. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because when we trust in God, actually, some of these other things start to go away. I love the um, song by um, Simon Brading, which we sing sometimes, called Gracious. And um, it goes like this, time and time again, I'm, I'm feeling like I've failed you. I've let down a friend and my heart aches. I've tried it on my own and I've ended up in pieces and there's nothing good to show that I need you. But what if your love was bigger than my mess? And what if your grace could heal my brokenness? In all the world and the universe, you specialize in failures and oh you are gracious and you take my mess and you nail it to a cross broken lives will rise again and broken years restored again and you are gracious you make my life a trophy of grace I love that phrase a trophy of grace there is healing in your wounds forgiveness for the sinner mercy leads me to repentance and I turn my face to find a father who is gracious there's no anger in your eyes but mercy gracious is the name of the Lord I love that because we all get caught up in stuff that's sinful and whichever sin you struggle with in some way it goes into one of those seven categories that's why there's the seven there And uh, what we do know is that God takes it and he uses his grace to overcome our sin. He works with us. It says in the Bible that sin entangles so easily. The thing is that the grace undoes those tangles. It just undoes them all. And that doesn't involve effort on our part. Jesus undid your sin. In Romans 6, um, 
Paul talks about sin and he talks about our struggling with sin. He focuses on sexual sin in that chapter, but actually he's using it as a metaphor for all the other types of sin. And he starts off the chapter by saying, well, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound more? And there's, there's kind of a, a logical argument to that. Well, well if God's going to forgive me my sin, if he's going to say, okay, I've got so much grace that I can deal with your sin every time that you do it. And when you go back to it, as it says in Proverbs, like a dog to its vomit, and you go back to that sin again, actually, God's grace is going to deal with it. So if God's grace is going to deal with it, therefore, I don't need to worry and I can carry on sinning. And Paul says, no, you don't want to do that. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, uh, into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that Just as Christ was raised from the dead, we've heard about that this morning, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And the thing is, we are renewed in Christ to walk differently, to live differently. And he he ends up towards the end of the chapter saying, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And that's what it... That's where I started, wasn't it? That actually, it's the sin that traps us. And it's an odd thing to, to think about being a slave to righteousness, to, to doing good things. It's kind of, well, we'll be a slave to doing good stuff. It just seems really odd. But that's actually what we're asked to do. Jesus has won the war on sin. He's won it. That means it's finished with. The power of your sin is gone. It's over. And Paul's advice, so how do you avoid it? Just don't go there. And you think, yeah, but, 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 But that's his advice. Don't go there. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. And that's true. God gives us freedom, freedom to do what we like. But actually, when we're mastered by that rather than by God, we end up in a tricky place. So Paul says, run away. Go and do something different. Change the way you're thinking and go and do something different. And I think all of this is a lot easier when we understand our identity. John, uh, when he's writing his gospel, says, but to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, And who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. That makes you royalty. That's fab. Now, I just want you to think, 
What if you were the Prime Minister tomorrow? Could be Theresa. And um, if you were Prime Minister tomorrow, everything that you tweeted, everything you said, probably if it was said within four walls and two other people, still going to get reported. Everything you searched for on the internet will be seen by your staff. Everything that you seem to think suddenly is public domain. Your health, everybody knows. How would you feel? You might start to change your behavior slightly because otherwise you might be quite embarrassed. But here we are, we are children of God. That's more than being prime minister. And God knows everything we do. And he says, I will provide for every one of your needs. Why do I stuff myself stupid in a restaurant? It's nice food. But probably deep down, I believe that tomorrow there may not be food. So I might as well eat well today. The thing is, that's absurd thinking. I know God provides for me. I've never gone hungry, even when I was a student and I had absolutely no money and a huge overdraft. I still always ate. Sometimes God provided for me in miraculous ways, but I still always ate. So why do I believe that there won't be food tomorrow? That's the deep down feeling that makes me eat and eat and eat. And whichever of those things that I've been talking about that we struggle with, there's an underlying reason. And most of it is that God is not going to provide for this need in my life. There is a spiritual battle for your identity. I don't know whether you believe that, but there is. The devil doesn't want you to know that you are a child of God and to believe it and to live in it. He wants you to carry on struggling. So how can you be free? The first thing, as I've said so many times, is just tell someone. Actually, as we confess our sins to one another, there is power. There is power to break the sin. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling with something, find someone that you trust and tell them. You'll be surprised just what talking about it does. You could start every day with a vow to God that I won't. Maybe a reminder on your mirror or on your toothbrush and agree with God in the morning that I won't. Maybe you need to change some stuff in your life to make it less likely that you're going to slip. But when you slip, remember, God loves you. God has forgiven you. Jesus already died for all your sins. God knew what you were going to do before you did it. And he still sent Jesus to die for your sin. He loves you that much. And something that really helps me is when I get to heaven, I'm going to be free of this stuff. 
And the devil can chuck whatever he likes at me, no matter what mud he wants. But when I get to heaven, I'm not going to struggle with this stuff anymore. And I'm excited about that. Because I'm going to be free. And yes, there is a struggle as we live on this earth. There is a struggle. A struggle for our identity. A struggle to live for God. And actually moving into a place where we live in a holy way is a difficult thing. And I'm not saying you're going to achieve it because you won't. But one day we'll be free. At the end of uh, Ephesians 6 when it's talking about putting on the armor of God. It says finally be strong where? In the Lord and in the strength of his might. We can put on all the armor that God gives us. But at the end of the day, the standing strong in that armor is God's strength. And we need to stop relying on our own strength and hold on to his strength because he's done it for us. Another book, um, which is really good, which again is all about identity, um, by Mark Driscoll. Who do you think you are? Another really good book. Um, if you want to think about identity and he says this he says for the Christian there is a vital difference between having sin and being sin this explains why the Bible rarely if ever describes a Christian as opposed to a non-Christian as a sinner depending on which Bible translation you read you will hear of non-Christians referred to as sinners more than 300 times But only on three occasions do you find a Christian referred to as a sinner. Though in each instance, it could easily refer to a non-Christian. Rather than sinners, the Bible overwhelmingly calls us saints. Holy. Righteous. More than 200 times it calls us that. So basically then, the primary identity of a believer in Christ is not a sinner, but a saint. And while we still struggle with sin in this life as Christians, our identity is not found in the sin, but it's found in God's righteousness. And I want to encourage you in that this morning, because I think we get caught up worrying about the sin, and we need to shift our thinking, shift our focus. I want to encourage you to do something practical this week. I want you to write down What the devil is whispering in your ear about the sin. Just write it down. And then on the other side of the page, I want you to write down what God says to you about who you are. And I can guarantee you, no matter what the devil is whispering in your ear about how pathetic you are, God will overpower it 100 to 1. Because actually, he has made you knew Jesus was tempted in every way it says but he didn't succumb to the sin the temptation is not wrong it's only what we do with it so I want to encourage you this morning I've I've spoken a lot of different things and kind of touched on lots of things that might have affected you might have been things that you think yep that's me He's talking about me. But actually, I want you to know that God has done it. He has won the war for you. 
And we just need to hold on to that and start to do something about it as a result. The band, could I get you to come back up, Steve? Let's, um, let's stand up. <clears throat> I want to encourage you as we, we worship just to give the things that you struggle with, and we all have stuff we struggle with. None of us are perfect because none of us are Christ. Give that stuff to God. Just give it to him. Let him take it. And as I said earlier on at the beginning of the meeting, the thing is we can dress ourselves in Christ's righteousness. We can put it on. We can appropriate it for ourselves. That's habit for ourselves. And when we do, it can make all the difference. Um, this morning, before coming to church, I had some worship music on because I was feeling down. And I was listening to this song, which I think the lyrics just fit perfectly with what we've been hearing today. And it's called Flawless. There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong. Because we were taught that's who we are. Come on, get in line right behind me. You along with everybody thinking there's worth in what you do. Like a hero who takes the stage when we're on the edge of our seat, saying it's too late. Well, let me introduce you to amazing grace. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is the cross has made. The cross has made you flawless. No matter the hurt or how deep the wound is, no matter the pain, still the truth is the cross has made you flawless. Could it possibly be that we simply can't believe that this unconditional kind of love would be enough to take a filthy wretch like this, like me, and wrap him up in righteousness? And that's exactly what he did. Take a breath, smile and say, right here, right now, I'm okay, because the cross was enough. Once again, he says, no matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, the cross has still made you flawless. No matter what they say or what you think you are, the day you called his name, he made you flawless. He made you flawless. Thanks, Iris. And that's my message from today is he has made you flawless. He has made you perfect. So if you feel that you struggle with something that becomes a habit that is difficult for you um, we want to pray with you and we want to we want to see you set free and that's the thing is God has the power to set us free so if that's you then uh, there'll be people who can pray with you at the end of the meeting but it may be that you just need to go and be honest with someone to help break the power and uh, so there's going to be coffee and tea and drinks and biscuits. And as we, as we go and we talk to each other, let's confess sin to one another where we struggle. And let's see what God would do. Because I believe that as a community of people, as we are set free, we will live in a way that not only glorifies God more, but makes us more effective individually and as a community. Let's, let's see what God would do. So don't go this morning kind of 
and think, well, maybe I'll do that next week. God wants to meet with you today. And he wants to see you understand his love for you that he has. And how much he wants to set you free. So Lord, we thank you for everything you've done. You are awesome. You died on the cross before we even knew our own sin. Knowing everything we would do. You still, you still didn't reject me. Despite the fact you knew what I'd be like. Oh, you are amazing. And we thank you for that.